verses 28 through 40. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn and read along as I read aloud from the word of the Lord. Some of this we uh, began looking at this past week. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Do you think I'm a Jew, Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Let us pray. Dear Father, this is a grim reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us. We thank you that you have laid all of this out in your word, the scriptures, that we know that it is true and accurate. I pray that my words would be faithful and in keeping with your word, so that the character of your word and your character will shine forth through my preaching, because it is your word alone that is holy and just and true having the power through the anointed work of your Holy Spirit to transform our lives so that they reflect the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray all these things through your Holy Spirit in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is a systematic and organized madness that's going on that we read about, that we read about last week, that we read about this week as Christ is taken, though innocent, passes through one trial after another, and finally reaches the desk, so to speak, of Pilate for Pilate's judgment. As we continue down the trail of this gruesome night and morning, we find politicians and religious leaders working hand in hand. This is no surprise for either Pilate or the religious leaders of his day, And it's not something that is uncommon in our day either. (coughs) Cal Thomas wrote a book with Ed Dobson. Cal Thomas is a columnist, and Ed Dobson is a pastor in Grand Rapids. And they wrote a book, Blinded by Might, (coughs) 
that has generated a great deal of publicity and discussion in Christian circles, at least in Christian circles, as well as in other circles over <coughs> recent months. <coughs> people are summarizing the message of their book to be that what religious people sought to do in the 80s was misguided and ineffective. Cal Thomas and Ed Dobson were uh, our former moral, ma- moral majority officials. So I'm sure that this influenced, uh, to a degree, what they wrote. <coughs> the portrayals of the writing of these men in this book indicate that Christians should no longer seek to influence the political system, but instead should stick very close to the business of the church, which is saving souls <coughs> and promoting growth in Christian maturity. <coughs> Seeking to influence the political system, the, those who summarize the book indicate that these two men say, seeking to influence the political system, the Christians have not been successful. <clears throat> and our failure proves that we have taken our eyes off of what the church should really be about. <clears throat> now, I've not read the book myself. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Whether or not this is an accurate portrayal, of course, I cannot say. However, I have read and heard Cal Thomas a number of times and endeavor to listen to him, as anybody in my household knows, 4.45, any weekday that I'm home or here at the church, I rush madly to turn on 90.5 to listen to Cal Thomas's one one or two-minute commentary because he is very insightful in the things that he says, and he is a Christian, and comments on what he sees and what is happening from a Christian perspective. In our day, there is a firestorm of discussion and debate, which is anything but new, because Christians are seeking to understand to what degree they should be involved in the political process. Christians, as Christians, we want to affect the culture, And the political process certainly has an effect on the culture. Yet, while affecting the culture, we want to avoid selling out to the political process. Both are good goals. The goal of affecting the culture, whether it's through politics or any other realm, and avoiding selling out is certainly a most notable goal, something that we have to do. Avoid selling out. We have before us in this passage evidence of religious leaders who have sold out to the very nature of politics. The chief priests, those are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of the religious leaders, they were in on this kill, shall we say. They had reached the point of using ruthless power to achieve their ends regardless of the means. So in the hours of Thursday night, and those of Friday morning, we see the depravity of man illustrated in its true colors. This very depravity, which is the reason for Christ being among these people at this time, the reason being that he had to provide an offering that would save us from the consequences of such depravity. And so we see in this passage corruption, extreme corruption, and yet corruption that should not be in any way surprising. Does it benefit us as Christians to look at the ugliness in Scripture? Why does God put the ugliness in? Why do we have the story of David and Bathsheba? Why do we have the gory details about Christ's 
<clears throat> trials, his arrest, his trials, his brutal beatings, and his execution. Because God does not desire for us to pretend that evil does not exist and isn't as ugly as could possibly be. Instead, he wants to show us evil in all of its ugliness, and we see countless evidences of evil in the pages of Scripture, Old and New Testament. God wants us to be exposed to that so that we are not surprised by evil, but instead know that evil is at the heart and very core of all mankind and ourselves as well. But that having looked at that evil... Then it's like looking or living in a dark room. You get inside a dark room that is pitch black. Sometimes when we go into, I guess David's room is probably the darkest room in the house. The girl's room has the garage light outside their windows, and though the shades are pulled, you still can see inside. Well, and they have a nightlight as well. Somehow David doesn't raid a nightlight. No, it's because the, the... Electrical outlets right where he could put his hand up so it is very carefully shut while he was in bed. So if you go into David's room in the middle of the night and you do anything in there for any period of time, you come out and just the smallest light makes you wince because it's such a shock. And so God shows us corruption and evil so that we can see, by contrast, the glory and the power, the blinding light of his righteousness. We see that exhibited in all of its full glory in our passage, and we see the overlay of the great, great, great evil overlaid by the glory of Christ and the power of Christ. We think to ourselves, how could I ever live during a time such as the Holocaust How could I have ever been a Christian in a country such as Germany, which was killing Jews and Christians as well, and anybody who stood up for what was right? And we shrink from that, and yet Christ did not shrink from it. And we have the evidence of his glory to the Father exhibited in the midst of this darkness. So we see vividly corruption. Pharisees seeking to turn Christ over to the secular leader, Pilate, for execution. According to those who have looked specifically at the legal requirements at that time, they were breaking two of their laws. One, that, well, they had previously broken one of the laws, which was that they were required to give a hearing in a capital case during the daytime and not at night. And the trials of Christ that they had already had had been nighttime trials. The other was that the trial and execution had to be at least a day removed. And it suited their purposes instead to have him executed before the Sabbath came, long before the Sabbath came. And so this was cast out of the way. There was nothing that was going to stop them in this plan, as is so evident from our reading of the passage. Wickedness was an integral part of their character and of their planning. It was their goal that was all important. Consideration of the means to their end did not even enter their mind, is not even presented to us in the passages. This kind of unique thinking is not unique 
to this place or to this time. When the forces of evil were seeking to destroy the Christ the Messiah, violation of laws, blatant disregard even for the laws individuals themselves have written, is a sign of corruption. We see this sign exhibited by these religious leaders. We see this in our culture constantly today. Sometimes it reaches the point where something is done about it. At other times, we just observe and wonder when the stench of law-breaking corruption will reach the point where people will say enough is enough and something will be done about it. When leaders exhibit callousness regarding laws which they are not only supposed to know, but also supposed to uphold, those they lead develop scorn for the society and scorn for the very leaders themselves. Now again, this passage is about the interaction between politics and religion, isn't it? Because the religious leaders got together with the political leaders, Herod and, as is revealed in in the Gospel of John, Pilate, in order to do something that the religious leaders wanted done very badly. So if we look at our culture, we look what is going on in politics, it's fair to do this passage referring to these things. Certainly it's referring even more so to the corruption in the church because the church should know better. But Pilate certainly was not exempt from corruption and cynicism in our passage. As we look at our culture today, I found it interesting to read the news, recent news of recent weeks about the, uh, the appointment process of judges to the federal cases Uh, of President Clinton's friends Webster Hubble and Charlie Tree. Now, federal judge Norma Holloway Johnson is the one who has appointed those judges. And it's been interesting to note that the system of appointing judges in such cases has been by uh, lottery. Not that they sought to make money by gambling, but it would be a name drawn out of a hat to represent or to to, to try the cases of these people so that there would be no suggestion whatsoever of any impropriety or any possible behind-the-scenes wheeling and dealing, any sort of corruption. And yet it has come to light that she specifically appointed judges that President Clinton had appointed to try the cases of his friends. And I read recently that when she learned that this had made the news and quickly held a hearing with the, the other judges, the other federal judges involved, that one of the judges said off the record that it was astounding to him and discouraging to him that she didn't even seem to realize that people would feel this was corrupt. Call it ignorance, call it whatever you will. We see this sort of thing going on in our culture everywhere around us. Our culture is no different than any other culture. The signs of sin are present in all cultures because sin is present in mankind. While some in authority and power acquit their guilty friends, others accuse and condemn their innocent enemies. Both are examples of injustice and the corruption that is evident in this biblical account. Now, it's important for us to remember that corruption and injustice are not simply acquitting the guilty. Corruption and injustice also involve punishing the innocent. 
Isaiah 5.22, the Lord says, Woe to those who acquit the guilty for a bribe, but deny justice to the innocent. And in Exodus 23.6, the Lord instructs, Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge. In other words, <clears throat> punishing the innocent. Do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the righteous. <clears throat> we have a number of phrases and sayings in our culture which refer to such corruption and injustice. Some of them are, most of them are used for this purpose. Some of them have other meanings as well. Might makes right. The end justifies the means. In order to make an omelet, you have to break a few eggs. <clears throat> it is perhaps the easiest to fall into this trap when we are seeking to justify something according to a higher calling, as these religious leaders were trying to do. <clears throat> it's easy enough to do when we're trying to justify ourselves, but if we feel that we are doing something that God would want us to do, then somehow all of the things that get in the way are trampled over because we feel that to serve him is noble, of all things the most noble. God is concerned with the method, not just the results. He wants honesty and integrity all the way along the path, not just a final result that looks good. <clears throat> Let me pick on Andrew's room for a minute here. <clears throat> How did you find the, the uh, termite damage? So you had already determined to do something to the room before you realized this? Okay. <clears throat> so then, did you take the paneling down next and find it? The paneling down, and then the studs crumbled into splinters and left them again. My heart sank. And so, what in a situation like that, the finished product looks decent. You might want to replace the rug, but if you could live with the rug or clean it, perhaps be satisfied with it. You'd never know about the termite damage. Get behind surface appearance, then what's there starts to crumble. God wants every part of the process to be good. The structure, the foundation, everything that goes into making the finished product. We look, for instance, the church squabbles. Many happen because people have grown confused and come to think that what really matters is that their opinions and views are better than those of others. They conclude that they and their friends know what's really going on that shouldn't be. They know they're right, and if others get in the way of their agenda, they will fix the opposition good and well. <coughs> 
So fighting becomes second nature to people who are gathered in churches, despite the fact that the Lord says the world will know his followers by their loving devotion to one another. The Lord will know his followers because they are like Christ. Lord, the world will know his followers because they would rather be wronged than suffer injustice. Excuse me. They would rather... I've got to get this right. (laughs) They would rather be wronged and suffer injustice than allow disgrace to come upon the people of God as a result of their pride and lack of humility. Those who are in the church oftentimes confuse the inner voice of self with God's voice, and so they authorize themselves to do whatever it takes to win. But this inherent heart of corruption is not just present in those who fight within churches. It is also something that is present and exhibited in those who won't fight in churches. Many church squabbles don't happen because people have unwittingly accepted the various practices and methods that church leaders say bring the results God wants, even if the way the church is behaving is not the way God wants them to behave. And so they become more interested in promoting the goodwill that exists within the church than with promoting God's will within the church. God is concerned with integrity and honesty. He is concerned with the ways that are revealed in Psalm 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. God is concerned with and delights in those who honor him even to their hurt. Isn't that a fascinating statement? That he delights in and he is honored in those who keep their oath even when it hurts. The ways that are in contrast to corruption are ways which knowingly bring on personal hurt and injury rather than causing others to receive the hurt and injury that could be mine because I don't want to accept it. Corruption says, hurt and injury, I will not accept it. You take it for me. Humility in Christ's way says, hurt and injury, I will accept, so you do not have to suffer it. This is at the very root why Jesus was the one who suffered the hurt and injury on this day we read about in Scripture. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders did not. It was his desire to obey the will of the Father, even to his hurt, to take upon himself the penalty and burden that otherwise everyone would have to bear, a burden that we could not possibly bear. It's interesting to compare John the Baptist with these religious leaders. John the Baptist, of course, being a religious leader in his own right. (laughs) Both these religious leaders and John the Baptist lived under the shadow of Jesus Christ the Messiah, whose ministry, of course, eclipsed all ministries of all times. 
Yet while the religious leaders were jealous, and it says as a result of their jealousy, they plotted how they might kill Christ, which they are in the process of accomplishing in our passage, because they wanted to get rid of his competition, John the Baptist said, John 3, verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. You and I always need to be concerned with taking the narrow path and the long way around. Shortcuts are so often corrupt ways. It's significant that Scripture says, Matthew 7, 13, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Humility is important in avoiding corruption. Yet humility is at odds with power unless that power and authority are rooted in faith and devotion to the person and example of Christ. And so as we examine this, realizing that sin is inherent in our nature as well, we must look deep within ourselves. See, are our goals biblical goals? Or are they personal goals covered with a thin veneer of respectable saintliness? Many a man has made the following biblical teachings, something that he quotes frequently, his personal grounds for an obsession with his business. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially his family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. In the process of making these his own verses... Such men do what they want to do. They pretend that they are doing what the Lord wants them to do. But in the process, they are sacrificing family, health, and ministry within the church and among neighbors because they put a thin veneer of godliness on a heart of corruption. Many a woman has taken the biblical injunctions to care for her children to the point that her children have become more important to her than anything and everything else in her life. Once we are satisfied that we have examined our goals and found them to honor the Lord, we must not be content with examining our goals. The veneer is insufficient. The heart must be a heart that is transformed so that the corruption is gone and replaced with righteousness. What are our methods for achieving the goals? Are we cutting corners, stretching the truth in what we do, causing others to suffer because of our desire to be first, or see others lose? Are we linking ourselves with those who have nothing in common with our faith because we want something we think they can help us get? Are we putting up with things that we should not tolerate as children of the Lord God because of the goal that we have in view? Corruption, as is illustrated in this passage, does not come in all of its full-blown ugliness, but instead it comes in short steps. How many of us have at one time or another memorized Psalm chapter 1? And it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Corruption comes, this utter corruption comes by degrees. It begins by walking in wicked counsel and continues as the person stops and stands. 
and it finally takes its ultimate course when the individual sits among the scoffers. <clears throat> we must consider these truths and be wary of where we are going and how we are getting there. Wealth is a good thing if used wisely, but the price for gaining it can often be too high to pay. Friends are a good thing, depending on whether they encourage us in our spiritual maturity and holiness, or whether they encourage us to indulge ourselves, whether we are being an example to them, or they are slowly but surely affecting our lives so that we walk in their ways. Success of whatever sort is wonderful as long as it is not gained at the expense of our integrity, or at the expense of people, or by the sacrifice of prior responsibilities that the Lord has blessed us with and given us charge over. <clears throat> Beyond the corruption that is evident in the actions of the religious leaders, we see rank hypocrisy. We see these religious leaders seeking to have Pilate judge Christ outside. Please come out to us. We don't want to go in. <clears throat> because they do not want to be in a Gentile home. Because there are various suggestions as to what this is all about. Probably most certainly at this point in the year, during the Passover, they were not to have anything to do with homes or places where there was yeast. <coughs> because the Passover was a time of unleavened bread, and often called as well the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Truly, they were doing as the Lord had previously warned them against. Straining out gnats and swallowing camels. They were utterly bankrupt in the weightier matters of religion, the matter of justice, while concerning themselves with the lesser matters of cleanliness so that they could partake in the upcoming feast. So often, this is a warning that we must take heed of. <clears throat> religion can boil down to an emphasis on ritual and rite and lead to a neglect of compassion, mercy, and justice. <clears throat> Yet God says these are the things that delight him. Jeremiah 9, 24, But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. <clears throat> and Amos 5, 21, he says, it begins with a passage that we probably have not heard much read with the, with the following verses. But he says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. <clears throat> I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never ending stream. As we read in this passage from Amos, the Lord detested the religious feasts of people just such as those in our passage in John. Religious leaders <clears throat> who pretended to honor the Lord with their celebrations while dishonoring him in the treatment of their fellow man. Whether they thought they could fool him or just fooled themselves is hard to know. But we do know that he was not and is not fooled. <clears throat> the feasts count for nothing when the feasters have left their dishonesty, corruption, conniving, and treacherous justice outside of the doors of the temple in order to partake in the feasts. 
It wouldn't matter if the religious leaders had entered Herod's palace and every Gentile home in Jerusalem. It wouldn't have mattered if they kept themselves scrupulously clean from the taint of Gentile practices, food, and yeast. Through their insistence upon the murder of an innocent man, Jesus, through the flip side of injustice, their insistence upon the release of a guilty man, Barabbas, they were unable to bring glory to God. This is a solemn warning to us. When we think perhaps that our worship of the Lord can be different on Sundays than it is throughout the week, we fool ourselves. The Lord is looking to see how our love for him plays out in our regard for our fellow man, in our families, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, classmates, those whom we meet on a daily basis. Do we have compassion and mercy upon them, just as the Lord has demonstrated compassion and mercy towards us? Or do we demand the payment of every little debt and more besides from those around us? Do our lives exhibit the character of God, the God whom we claim to serve? Or is there a marked difference between what we know he is like and what we are like, so that it would seem we are under no special obligation and have no special desire to illustrate his character in the world around us and in our relations. In religious terms, there are many feasts and festivals, many rites, many celebrations which we do not want to miss. And it is crucial for us to realize that in order to partake in those things that are celebrations, feasts, rites, worship, that our heart must be right before the Lord. Now, in the midst of this whole situation, we see Christ piloting piloting a course that is in no way disrespectful, that upholds the truth in the midst of everything. You say to yourself, how can God be glorified in the midst of such darkness and corruption? And the answer is clear to us in this passage. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So the way in which God is glorified in the midst of all this darkness, this corruption, is because Christ presents the truth in clear terms for all to see. And at that point, the truth does not win out, although Pilate certainly has a conviction of what is right and what is wrong. But as we look at it from this point, we look back and we say, what a terrible night, and yet... How gracious was the Lord to suffer this in order that the truth might be proved for what it is. So in the midst of all this darkness, it is important for us to realize that the light of the Lord shone forth brightly to eternity so that we would be able to trust in him. So that looking at scenes like this, we would not say that is the way it is going to be for eternity, but instead... Christ was the victor so that we do not have to suffer this sort of corruption and darkness to be reigning in our hearts throughout the present, the future, and eternity. And through all of this, he receives the glory. Let us pray. Dear Father, we give you thanks that Jesus Christ, your Son, suffered this. We give you thanks for this because through his sacrifice, we are able to trust in you and to have peace with you. We praise and glorify you because Christ suffered this terrible injustice 
and this terrible punishment. And we are sad to the depths of our being because he suffered it, because he had to, because of our sinful rebellion. Forgive us for our sins and make us righteous. In Jesus' name, amen.